You're listening to the Wally Local History Podcast, researched, written, and narrated by Jean Lord. This podcast is kindly sponsored by Voiceit PR. Voiceitpr.com. Shocking stories from Wally. It was a freezing cold day on the 16th of January, 1889, when alarm spread through the village of Wally. A dead body of a man had been found in the top room of the northeast gateway, that being the entrance to the Abbey precinct. The rumours quickly spread, some even saying a murder had been committed. The true story soon became apparent. The Abbey was now owned by Colonel John Hargreaves, who employed as his gardener a man named William Holden. Mr. Holden used the top floor of the gateway to store fruit and vegetables. He also stored good cardboard and wooden boxes there. He didn't go to the top floor often, as the old oak floorboards were in a bad state of decay, as was the roof, but with careful manoeuvring he was still able to utilise it for his purposes. But being winter time, he had even less requirements. It was one large chamber in this massive stone tower, being approached from the ground by a stone spiral staircase, with a door at the top and at the bottom a nail-studded door, and at that time directly opposite the entrance to the lodgekeeper's house. This led to some speculation as to how this man had gained entrance unobserved. Although sometimes leaving long intervals between visits to the chamber, and only then when something warranted it, on this day, and you may think luckily, he remembered he had a case or two of apples stored, and needing something for lunch, decided to go up to retrieve one. On entering, he immediately noticed a foul odour, but as the chamber was in such a state of decay, thought nothing of it. He proceeded to turn over several boxes lying there, and towards the back of the chamber reached a wooden box on its side, with the opening towards the wall. On looking into it, he found the body of a man partly hanging out, and around him were apple and pear cores, onions and small bones, as if he had been trying to feed himself from whatever was stored there. However, the small bones remain a mystery. Shocked as Mr. Holden must have been, he quickly left and went for the police constable, who, after examination, quickly removed the body, with the help of Mr. Taylor from the De Lacey, to a shed near to the mortuary, alongside the De Lacey Inn. Here, they then tried to establish the identity of this unfortunate gentleman. He appeared to be around 45 years old, small-featured, with whiskers and a moustache. He was wearing a dark tweed suit, three waistcoats, a blue woolen muffler around his neck, and buckled shoes of American design, but no socks. He had used packing to wrap around his legs and to stuff up the crevices in this cold and drafty room. He had papers in his pockets which seemed to suggest he could be an American. 
he had a membership booklet for the Caucus Association of St. John, New Brunswick. This had some of the lettering scratched out. But on this book on the back, it said Francis Chedley, or Chedley, St. John, New Brunswick. There was also a bill from a hotel in Queen Street, New York, an American novel, a pipe, a newspaper from Liverpool, with a date of December the 1st, 1888, and a first-class saloon menu for the 27th of November, 1888, on the Cunard liner, the Caledonian. So it seemed he had travelled as a saloon passenger and was in newspaper his arrival date in Liverpool. A lot of clues to process, one would think, but very quickly an inquest was arranged for the 18th, when a verdict of death by starvation, having been lying there in this lonely state until death ensued. He was buried that same day. You won't find him listed on the plants of the graveyard, but with a little research he can be found in their burial records as a man found dead in Worley, unknown. Well, not really unknown. There was enough information on him to find out who he really was or who the clothes he was wearing belonged to. Perhaps there's another story here. From time to time, I have another go at this on the ancestry sites in case something comes to life. I have contacted New Brunswick Tourist Information and currently have a query with a maritime site that covers New Brunswick shipping, etc. The Cunard Caledonian mention seems to be in a period when there are no records being taken over by other owners, but I live in hope. Maybe he wasn't Francis Chudley at all, and simply came in possession of all his clothing by some means. I shall carry on to my dying day to find out who he really was, so watch this space. On Christmas Day, 1877, at about 10 to 3 in the morning, two young men named Thomas Woolridge and Henry Wens, with two other friends, were walking down Mitten Road on their way home to Blackburn. On passing the railway station, they noticed flames issuing from the booking office. On going up to the building, they found the door was locked and the whole of the booking office ablaze. They at once proceeded into Worley to find the village constable, who was Police Constable Hartley, and acquainted him with what they had discovered. Hartley, remembering there was a dwelling house under the booking office and waiting rooms, became apprehensive for the safety of the occupants, Mrs. Ormerod and her family, seven in all. Under the constable's direction, Woolridge and Wens returned to rouse the inmates. Had it not been for their timely discovery of the fire, Mrs. Ormrod and her family would have surely perished, either from suffocation or fire. Even though the flames in the booking office had eaten their way through the flooring, filling the scullery of the Ormrod's house with burning fragments and the house with smoke, and flames shooting through the roof and windows, 
the family of seven slept on. They were now roused and acquainted with the danger in which they were placed. Police Constable Hartley gathered together a large number of the villagers to assist in quenching the fire and dispatched a messenger on horseback to Clitheroe to request the help of the fire brigade of that town. Meanwhile, the villagers had secured a number of buckets and with water obtained from the cistern at the station and from a well on Mission Road, they strove to contain the flames to the booking office. The men worked courageously and with unflagging spirit, though their efforts were beset with many difficulties. To stop the fire from spreading to other parts of the building, the roof of the general waiting room was broken in where it joined with the walls of the booking office, and by this means they succeeded in limiting the flames. The Clitheroe Fire Brigade put in an appearance about 20 minutes past six o'clock. The fire had now been raging for three and a half hours, but the villagers had by then obtained some control over the fire, although it was still burning. On the arrival of the brigade, it was deemed necessary to obtain a supply of water from the river Calder. But it turned out that the brigade had not a sufficient supply of holes. A length was obtained from Mr. Longworth's mill, but this was only serviceable to the extent of carrying water to a leather bucket in the roadway running at the foot of the station. From this bucket, the villagers carried water in pails and threw it onto the flames until another length of holes was brought from barrel print works near Clitheroe, and now the water could be pumped from the river directly onto the flames. The fire was finally extinguished about nine o'clock. How it originated is a matter of conjecture. In one corner of the booking office is a fire grate, and the supposition that seems to find most favour is that when the booking office was locked up on Monday night, a large fire was left in the grate, and it is supposed that some hot coals rolled off the fire onto the fender and then bounced onto the wooden floor. A considerable part of the floor near the grate was consumed, and the hearthstones were hurled into the scullery connected with Mrs. Armrod's dwelling, in which place damage was done to the extent it is estimated of about twenty pounds. Today, nearly two thousand pounds. Everything the booking office contained, that was tickets, books, parcels, chairs, and desks, was devoured by the flames. The walls were stripped of everything, the roof entirely demolished, and nothing remained but the merest shell. The flames had extended to the awning over the station platform and set it ablaze, but fortunately it was saved from destruction. A rough estimate to the damage to be about £300, today nearly £30,000, but impossible to ascertain the extent of the loss, since all the account books of the railway company were consumed. Mr. Rothwell, the station master, who lived some distance from the station, was informed of the outbreak of the fire soon after its discovery 
and he rendered all the assistance he could in quenching the flames. On Christmas Day, no tickets could be issued to passengers at the station, and passengers from Wally were requested by railway officials to pay the cost of their transit on arriving at their destinations. What kind of Christmas Mrs. Ormerod and family had is not known, and no mention is made of any presents being destroyed in the fire. I cannot find them on the 1871 census in Worley, so maybe they were there and the enumerator didn't realise there was a family living below the booking office. They are in Nethertown in 1881, which is that area of Worley near to the railway station. 1885, Preston Herald. The disappointed inhabitants of the picturesque village of Worley were, Sunday last, thrown into a state of pleasurable excitement, the contemplated wedding of a buxom widow, who, about nine months ago, consigned to the grave the remains of her husband, a grocer and newsagent in the village. After her husband's death, the widow carried on the business, and her shop and personal appearance attracted the regards of a traveller for a soap establishment in Clayton Lemoore's, who made his proposal due form, and after a little soaping, the lady accepted it. The wedding day was fixed for Sunday last, and the vicar of Worley had procured the necessary licence. Breakfast was ordered at the shoulder of Mutton Inn, and Jonathan put forth his best efforts to provide feast worthy of the interesting occasion. The guests arrived from Clitheroe and other places, intending, after the ceremony, to proceed to the ruins of Sawley Abbey, and there pass the day, dine at the hostelry, and on their return take tea in Clitheroe and the villagers assembled to see the bridal party. The bridegroom, however, did not turn up, and great was the dismay of the guests. The palpitating heart of the intended bride beat violently in the hope of his speedy arrival, but the cup of happiness was ruthlessly dashed from her lips. Whilst all were conjecturing what could have delayed the happy man, there came a messenger from the faithless swain, bringing intimation that he declined to enter the matrimonial noose. We will leave our fair friends to imagine the feelings of the betrayed. The invited guests were staggered at first, but made up their minds to take the matter philosophically, believing that what can't be cured must be endured. So they quietly sat down to line the inner man with the good things Jonathan had provided for the wedding feast, after which they departed from the village amidst the heartless jokes and laughter of the sightseers. We understand that the subject continually finds work for the gentlemen of the bar. I hope you have enjoyed the last report from newspaper of days gone by. Read as it was written.
and you probably agree with me that there was something rather special about the language used. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you want to know more, please go to Worley Local History, the Facebook group, and ask to join. And if you're in Worley or visiting Worley, please go to Worley Old Grammar School where we have a heritage room. In there you'll find lots of photos and information about Worley Local History. See you next time.